My mother, I thought, was so happy she couldn't speak. My father, on the other hand, was so upset that he did not speak to me for one year. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. When you work for the church, you're kind of surrounded by priests, and they all have a story about their vocation, how they came to discern it, how their parents reacted to it, and how the reality of the priesthood is different from the picture. Today, we're talking about priests in the context of their families. Now, I'm doing priests and not religious sisters or brothers, not because of any other reason except that it's a lot easier to find priests when you're working at the USCCB, (laughs) and it's a lot easier um, for them to have permission to talk about it. So we'll start with a seminarian who's on the journey right now. Meet Brendan Glasgow. So my name is Brendan Glasgow. I'm in third theology at Mount St. Mary's Seminary in Emmitsburg, Maryland. I'm the second oldest of seven children. Brendan is only a few months away from being ordained deacon. He's been in the seminary for seven years, since he attended college seminary in Washington, D.C. He knew it was a step-by-step process. I'll just give it, you know, two years and just focus on prayer, focus on my studies, After that, you know, I'll just take it step by step and see what God might have in store for me. It's just been that way ever since, you know, year by year. You take a step forward. Before you know it, you're like, wow, I think the Lord really is calling me to the priesthood because it's it's been seven years now and I'm still feeling at peace. I'm still feeling the joy that I first felt. Things change in seminary, but uh, if you always have that peace, then you know you're on the right track. His parents were not necessarily surprised by Brendan's decision to go to the seminary. I almost wanted them to be, like, more surprised or something. I was like, dang it, was that predictable? Or <laughs> When I told my mom, she was like, yeah, I thought I thought you might say that. And I was like, really? Because I was dating a girl for, like, a whole year. And how did, okay, I guess, I don't know, moms, they just have, like, a sixth sense or something. My mom somehow knew. I don't know. <laughs> Brendan credits his parents for making the priesthood a normal vocation to consider. My parents would invite the priest over to our house. So I would see the priest, you know, at church, and then I would see him around our kitchen table having breakfast with us or dinner. That made the priesthood not seem so foreign. I was able to see the priest as a person. It was a little more relatable. So normal, in fact, that one of Brendan's brothers is also in the seminary. Because my brother is also a seminarian. That might be a fun factoid. (laughs) Kind of emphasizing growing up in high school, the normalcy of the possibility of entering seminary. That's just the culture that I grew up in, which is like an incredible blessing, which it just seems super, super rare. Brendan's story is a picture of how discernment can go smoothly and be basically untraumatic for everyone in the family. But it doesn't always go this way. My father, on the other hand, was so upset that he did not speak to me for one year. This is Bishop Frank Caggiano from the Diocese of Bridgeport. Yeah, he did not speak to me for one year. We sat across from each other for one year without him saying a word. Yep. And at the beginning, it it was very hurtful. 
And of course, I wasn't home all the time once I had gone into seminary. Then I became defiant. Like, oh yeah, let's see who could hold out more. And then finally, about almost a year later, and my mother kept telling me, leave him alone, he'll come around. Leave him alone. Don't engage him because it's only going to make it worse. So I remember it was towards the end of the summer and he came down and he used to play solitaire at the table. So I'd have breakfast next to him, he wouldn't say a word. So finally I said to him, I said, look, I said, that is how it works. You keep this up. I guarantee you I'll be a priest. And I got up and left. The next day, I didn't see him the rest of the day, then because he went to work. The next day, I come down, he's cooking me breakfast. Oh, Frank, how are you? Come sit down. It was like it was <laughs> the ultimate conversion. <laughs> and he knew it. He knew it. <laughs> and I guess he, he went along with it. In contrast, young Frank's mother was thrilled. My mother, I thought, was so happy she couldn't speak. I mean, it was like 10 Monica's, St. Monica's rolled up into one. Frank himself had some wrestling to do with the Lord about his vocation. I left Yale, went to the college seminary, graduated the college seminary, convinced I was not going to be a priest. And this is not theatrical, it's the truth. When everyone went in after my graduation to the dining room, I stayed in the chapel and made an excuse that I was cleaning up whatever it was. And when the chapel was completely empty, there's a beautiful crucifix in the chapel. And I remember standing in the sanctuary and I looked up at the Lord and said, Lord, I will do anything you ask. But being a priest is not for me. It's clear. I walked out. That was it. Ironically, the chapel in which I was ordained a priest was that chapel. As lo the Lord's looking down at me saying, really? Whose way? Your way or my way? When he was ordained a priest, Frank's mom and dad came and were caught on tape. Father Caggiano's mom loved to watch this video at home. So we were ordained, the six of us, there were six of us. And as you know, in the ceremony, you're facing the bishop, and it's a circular, semicircular chapel. So I had my back to my parents. Okay. So I wasn't really attending to how they were reacting. So a few months later, I went home. I was assigned not far from, from the house. I went home. My mama was doing what she normally does. She was either praying the rosary or doing her novenas or cleaning the house. Or in this case, she was watching her favorite video in the whole wide world, which was my ordination video, which like she would watch like every other day. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I love her. All right. So I walk in and she's watching this video and I'm thinking, so, oh my gosh. Okay. So what do you say? You just sit down and she's watching and they pan the congregation, and after the imposition of hands, they go around the chapel, and my father is crying. So, you know, I, I, to that point, I had not seen my father cry. When my grandmother died, his mother, not a peep, nothing, very stoic, courageous, tough, crying. And I thought, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I said to my mother, I said, uh, look at that. She goes, what? I said, look, I said, Daddy's crying. I said, was he that upset? Was he still upset? She said, no. She told me in town. I will tell you what she actually said to me in town. She says, no. <laughs> she said, he was proud of you. He was happy.
Father Al Baca has a similar story about his family. Uh, my name is Father Al Baca, and I am the Executive Director for the Office for Ecumenical and Interreligious Affairs for the USCCB. His parents' reaction was split. When I finally came to the time to uh, tell them, my mother was very happy and my father was very upset. And I thought, okay, it's going to wear down, it's going to be fine, and it didn't wear down. So to the day that I left for seminary, my father was very upset with me. And uh, I waited all that time for him to come around, he didn't. And finally, I, I remember going to my dad and saying, Dad, look, I love you, but I've got to do this. If I don't do this, I feel like I'm going to die because um, it just, it's killing me not to take this next step, which I know I need to do. And uh, so I told him, I said, I want to go with your blessing, but if you don't give me your blessing, I, I'm going to leave. So he did, grudgingly, and he dropped me off. And I remember he didn't talk to me on the way, which is, it was like an hour and a half drive. And my mom said when they drove home, he cried all the way home. And so uh, he didn't support me in this at all until about uh, maybe six weeks before my ordination. He finally, he came to me and he said, I went to confession and he said, I'm going to receive Holy Communion from you when you become a priest. Father Al's dad came around eventually. Ever since, he's been great support, you know, and great inspiration for me. Bishop George Rassus was only in the eighth grade when he asked to enter the seminary. He came from a tradition of priests in the family. First, first uh, priest in our family was my mother's family was ordained in 1871, a couple months before the Chicago fire. He was uh, one one of the founders, if not the founder, of the NCEA, the National Catholic Education Association, because of his uh, establishing a high school for working girls and making sure they wore uniforms and all that kind. But he was, even in the 1890s, you know, became quite an educator. And he died, I think, in 1911. But his two nephews came, and they were ordained in Chicago in 1906, two brothers of Ireland. So kind of go way back on our side. Young George's parents were supportive and also encouraged him to apply to another high school in case he changed his mind. But what my mom and dad were saying to me was this, and a lesson I never forgot. If this is how you think God wants you to use your gifts by being a priest, we'll support you all the way. If you change your mind from the day of graduation from eighth grade and you want to go to Loyola with your friends, that's fine too. As long as you use your gifts to make a difference in our world. He made the long trek every day to Quigley High School Seminary. The spiritual director kept things real and told the boys that just because they started seminary, didn't mean that they'd all become priests. I remember it was about three weeks into the school year, and we were in our beautiful chapel, the St. James Chapel, and in the building there, it's that which is still in existence. And um, I remember Father Foucher, who was a young priest at the time, was our spiritual director as freshman boys. But he said, you know, boys, I'm a, a seminary education is 12 years. I said, oh, I didn't think it would take that long to learn how to be a priest, you know. And the next thing he said was, you know, this is the largest class of freshmen we've ever had at Quigley, 442 freshman boys from all over the metropolitan area of Chicago and the city of Chicago, all thinking about being priests. But the third thing he said was this, 
you know, he said, maybe after 12 years in the seminary, 10% of you will be ordained. And I said, hmm, I was not a wizard math, but I could pretty quickly figure out, you know, 10% of 442. And you know, my next thought was, why didn't I go to Loyola with my friends, you know? Like our first interviewee, Brendan, young George Rassus took the seminary one day, one year at a time. Because there were guys, you know, much more popular and outgoing and much smarter than me at the time. And I thought, well, every year I would say the same prayer again and again. Lord, if this is how you want me to use my gifts, please give me the help that I need. And 12 years later at our beautiful chapel at St. Mary of the Lake Seminary in Mundline, the day I was ordained, there were exactly 42 of us ordained that day who began first year high school with me. Bishop Rassus's message to young men is to follow their hearts and use their gifts. As I say to my confirmation kids when I share my vocation story, I always say now, I'm not anything special. Just ask my family, they'll tell you, or my friends, they'll tell you. But what I am to you, you, you young people is all of you have gifts. And if you use your gifts to make a difference in the world, the Lord will support you all the way. And I've always felt like the luckiest person in the whole world after all these years in the priesthood, you know. And I hope I always feel like that. I always tell young people, you know, if you use your gifts, it may seem like a, a long road, a lot of work. But if you use your gifts and follow your heart, the Lord will never let you down. Our last vocation and family story comes from the Office of Vocations here at the USCCB. I'm Father Luke Ballman, the Associate Director of the Secretariat for Clergy Consecrated Life and Vocations. I'm a priest of the Archdiocese of Atlanta. Father Luke's grandmother was a model of faith for him. She prayed the rosary every morning faithfully. And when I spent the night at Grandma's house, I woke up and walked out into the living room and saw her on many occasions praying the rosary as she started her day. That had an influence on me, even though I wasn't aware of it. Luke is the youngest of five siblings, and a lot of the family's time was spent around the parish and in a largely Catholic neighborhood. It was a really beautiful childhood that I took for granted at the time. Not just beautiful in terms of the love and the support from my family, from our neighbors, from the parish, but also the support of the faith that we just lived and breathed and it was, it was part of who we were. Luke was still just a kid when he first thought about being a priest. My first thoughts of the priesthood happened when I was in the fifth grade. A Franciscan visited our parochial school, visited Our Lady of the Rosary, to talk about a high school seminary. And as a fifth grader, that sounded like a great adventure. And living with like-minded boys, discerning, preparing for priesthood, and being away from home, and it just seemed really exciting. I talked to my parents about that, and they hesitated a bit. And that was enough for me to put the thought out of my head. After college, Luke began a career in business, joined a Bible study or two, and ignored that voice in the back of his mind. I was in a dating relationship with a beautiful young woman who I had known from high school. We were in a long-distance relationship. I was living in Georgia. She was living in Ohio. And our families knew each other. We had grown up together, so to speak, at least from high school. 
And she had everything I wanted in a wife. She was serious about her faith, Catholic, a professional, successful, beautiful, funny, friendly. I saw her as having the qualities of a great mother and wife. So here's the moment, right? Everything is just as Luke had wanted it. I remember praying in college one time in our chapel, Lord, if you just give me a successful career and a beautiful wife and a couple of children and a house in the suburbs somewhere, I will follow you and do whatever you want. That's all I need, Lord, to be happy. So here I was five, six years later, whenever it was, I think I was 28 years old at the time. And I had this beautiful woman who was ready to marry me. We were both doing well in our careers. We would have lived in the suburbs. We would have had beautiful children, I'm sure. And at one point, God said to me in prayer, all right, Luke, I've given you everything you said you wanted in college. I have fulfilled all your dreams, so to speak. I have only one question for you. Are you happy? Is it enough? And I had to be honest with myself. God already knew the answer. No, it wasn't enough. I wasn't fulfilled. I was happy. I could have had a beautiful life. It would have been a beautiful life. But I think I always, I know, I always would have questioned, but what if? Luke finally surrendered. And from the time I said yes to the Lord in my heart, and I began seminary studies, I never doubted from that point on that I I was created to be a priest. This is who God made me to be. This is what God had in mind when he put me on the earth. It, It was to serve him. He was hesitant to talk about his decision with his family or colleagues until it was a done deal. They were so excited, but at the same time, a little concerned, my mother especially. She said, what happens if this doesn't work out? What happens if you quit your job and then you don't go to the seminary? What will you do? My response was, I'll figure it out. At that point, God will provide. I'm an intelligent person. I think I can get another job. Father Luke's word for young men is this. God doesn't call us in fear. He always calls us in freedom. So priests come from families too. They don't sprout out of nowhere. And for those women out there listening, I know you're wondering how Luke's cool girlfriend handled this decision. It was a difficult time, but it was also a beautiful time because it was purifying, it was grace-filled, it was, there were many ways in which God blessed both of us through that period of time to bring each of us to a better place, I think. Apparently, I wasn't the first to want to follow up. Of course you're going to ask that question. You're a woman. Of course! I have shared my vocation story with parish groups, with young adults, with teens with lots of different groups, and that's always the first question that gets asked. 
If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, with the notable exception of the music, which was composed and produced by Michael Taylor. Hello, this is Michael. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone.